Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We have hit double digits. Oh my goodness. Tenth episode of the Steam Room Podcast. Welcome everybody. Nice towel. Ernie Johnson, Charles Barton. We made it. We made it. I think that's pretty much the benchmark for all podcasts. If you can do anything 10 times, that is the benchmark of success. That's something to ponder. I'm telling you. like If, if you I, can do anything 10 times, in a it's row, a success. It's a success. I'll ponder that for a while. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. Channing Fry. Will be joining us. Okay. Before it's all over. Good man. Tim Kiley will be joining us with. Uh, uh, not so much. With actually what he has this week is this week in sports, some Uh-oh. interesting sports stories. Uh, and of course, we'll have Chuck's answering machine before it's all over. But we begin as we do each week on this award winning podcast. Did you hear about the award we won? Uh, which one? I don't know. It's like a lot of folks are saying, it's great. So I consider that an award. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all. First of all, you know you have a lot of money when you get hunting nut Cheerios. I've had the regular Cheerios. First of all, you know anybody ride a motorcycle who makes millions of dollars is an idiot. First of all, zero plus zero is zero. Uh, first of all, I want to uh, give my thoughts and prayers uh, to the family of Miss Catherine Johnson. Uh, if you don't know her, you should go see the movie Hidden Figures with Taraji P. Henson and Kevin Costner. In fact, Taraji P. Henson played. Yes. Catherine and, uh, Johnson. Catherine Johnson. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing about her being the first, I guess, smartest woman at NASA who was amazing. And I knew know nothing about it till I went and saw the movie. And I encourage a lot of the kids, especially black kids, because, you know, I get on these black kids at times because I think they all they think about is being jocks and entertainers. We can be doctors, lawyers, engineers, teachers, firemen, policemen. But when I NASA saw, scientists, Na, NASA scientists was to me to know that a woman was that smart and brilliant just by her brain, uh, just it, it, it inspired me. And I think a lot of these kids need to go back and learn about their history and I just want to give um, a shout out to Miss Johnson's family because, like I say, you know, and like I say, I didn't know anything about her until that movie. When you look her up, you can't even understand the things they're about to explain that she did. You know, it's like came up with a, a, a formula for this. And it's like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. And, and she had she had every answer. She was a pioneer. Uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom winner in, I believe, 2015 or 2016. Well-deserved. And um, 101 years old, Uh, 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 Joe. As my grandma used to say, a life well-lived. No doubt. But I want to give my thoughts and prayers to her family. And my second of all, which I know (laughs) I— your second, first of all. So I want to talk to the NFL players. Uh, I know this is not my lane. Uh, do you have a lane? I, 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 I try to stay in my lane. Uh, what is that lane? 
Well, anything I, that's happening in the world. No, I stay in my basketball lane. I hate these guys who get on TV and say, "Well, this quarterback sucks, this pitcher sucks, this hockey player sucks." I'm like, "Have you ever asked to play any sport?" That drives me crazy. Yeah. So I stick to my basketball stuff, but I want to talk about the NFL players because I know this is a very important time coming up with the collective bargaining agreement. And I see the stars, uh, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, J.J. Watt, guys who are great players, talking about it's a hard no on game 17 and all the other stuff. and like I Shortening the preseason, sh- shorten the pre- but adding a regular season. I actually think right? they should play, just my personal opinion, I don't think they should play in the preseason games. Uh, they, they Listen, college football has made it all these years without playing uh, scrimmages, uh, preseason games. And first of all, none of the good players actually play. So yeah. uh, I, 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 I could do totally away with the preseason in, in my personal but opinion. But wouldn't that make roster – wouldn't that make roster decisions that much harder when you have not seen a guy in a game condition? Well, I think one of the reason, one thing to separate the Patriots and Coach Belichick from another team, they were the first one to start those combined practices. Mm-hmm. I think that's just as good practicing against a team for a week or two, right. uh, actually pretty much the entire preseason. Now everybody's doing it. I went to a couple of Eagles practice last year when they were going against the Ravens. It was like a scrimmage, a real scrimmage. You can get that accomplished. Uh, but – I want to just caution the players who make all the money. Uh, just take a step back and say, "I'm I'm gonna make money, but what about the other guys?" You know, I was watching uh, television, and I, they said a stat that was hard for me to believe, but I got to believe it because they went ran with it. Said that sixty percent of NFL players make the minimum. I don't think guys who all these guys are tweeting who make thirty five million dollars. You understand? So I guess if you're making the minimum, it's going to be worth an extra half a million dollars for you, which that's a yeah, lot of money. No doubt. So I just want to say to the guys making a lot of money, like maybe you don't want to play a 17th game, but it's just think about it from the other guys who right, might really need that money. Because first yeah, of all, is this going to benefit the bulk of the league? If you're saying 60%, yes, if yes. this is going to benefit them – but uh, yeah, but then, also and, and, then a hard no and, right off the bat. Maybe you say let's rethink. Let, that. Let, let, let me look at the big picture. All right. Maybe it's not beneficial for me to play one more game, but maybe it's beneficial because let's be realistic, Ernie. Most of those guys are not going to be in the league, but to get a, a half a million dollar bump to a guy is a lot of money to a guy who don't make any money. So that's that's my little bone and say like I say I don't have a dog in that fight, but I just wish that. Guys who, because because you know I have actually been in these meetings in the NBA portion, and and that's, you were in some of those with David Stern. Oh were you yeah, not? oh yeah, and those were not good <laughs> because Ernie, er, er, because there's it's, it's no right or wrong answer, right? Because a guy making a lot of money and a guy who's a, a minimum guy, they don't they 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 goes unaligned, and they can't be aligned like LeBron James and. The number twelve guy on the Orlando Magic don't have anything in common when it comes to negotiating. Right, like LeBron's, his agents trying to get a max deal to make the players get the greatest players get the most they can. But the guy who's the last player on the NBA team, he's just trying to stay in the league. And if he can get an extra three hundred, five hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars, that could be a really big deal for a guy who's probably going to be on the street in a year or two. Right. So that's my bone, to, to just to talk about. 
it ain't always just about you guys. Just take a step back and look at the whole pot pie. We are uh, we are underway. Oh yeah, here on the stage. Episode room. ten. Episode ten. That's ten. Episode ten. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> We're back here in the steam room. Keep your towel on, please. Uh, that's our advice to Channing Fry, one of the newest members of the Turner Sports family who joins us now. That is a fashionable towel, Channing. Well done. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you can see. As long as it's fit, I'm you, all good. Yeah, you can see him on NBA TV. You can see him on Handles with Taz Mellis, which is, uh, which is a great show. Um, I love watching that. It's a lot of fun, Channing, because you guys are all over, you know, social media and their reaction to highlights and that kind of thing. It's a it's a totally different kind of take on a highlight show. How much fun has that been for you? You know what? It's been pretty awesome since it's new. And, uh, you know, we're constantly evolving and trying to figure out what people want to see and what people um, are talking about. And it gives us some, I think, a leeway to interact with the fan where some TV shows are 2D. Um, our show is very 3D in a sense of uh, fans are, are really generating what direction we go in every Wednesday. So it's been pretty pretty awesome. And just uh, seeing the response I'm getting uh, just on social media and also, um, you know, from my friends being like, dude, we love your show. Like, you're, you're funny. This is great. Um, and we try to cover all the games and not just um, some of the highlights. You know, I want to ask you, the toughest thing about, being a, a, a player that goes into television, it's when you have to criticize your peers, especially guys you either play with or guys you like. How's that been for you? Oh, this is the easiest thing because <laughs> the thing I, I always tell everybody and everyone knows about me, I will never criticize you as a person. If I say, hey, you're playing like crap tonight, I'll, I'll sit down with you and watch film for an hour. I was this way as a player. So I'm not criticizing you as like, oh, I don't like you as a person. I may love you as a person, but hate your game. Um, I think to me, sometimes basketball is the most subconscious game ever. And to explain that is, if you are not focused on the game, if you're not focused um, on what is best for your team, night in and night out, it's going to show. You know, and people – there are certain players in this league who go out there and try to play just for numbers and to be famous, but don't do winning plays on a nightly basis, but then cry when they, they get criticized. So for me, I'm just taking my same attitude as I was a player um, watching film as I am, you know, talking to the regular uh public about the game of basketball there is a right and a wrong way to play this game. But have you had players come to you Channing, and say, Hey, what, how can you say that about me? Or, uh, or somebody players. told me you said this about me. Why'd you? And that, which is usually more of the case. Yeah. No. 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 I think um, my teammates, my old teammates from Cleveland, uh, they're like, "Oh, dang! What did you see? I heard you said that. You know, I did this." And I was like, "Listen, look. For the last five minutes, you didn't run back on defense. You didn't rotate. Your body language was bad. And this and this. You can't do that. You're supposed to be a leader." And I just kept it real. And he was like, all right, I, you know, I respect that. And I said, okay, so next time I'll give you praise when you do it right. It's little things. And so don't expect me to just be up here and, and sugarcoat things for you when I have to be honest with not only myself, but honest with you. But I appreciate the call, and 
Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you said it about the Cleveland situation because I went off on the players a, yeah. a couple of weeks ago because I thought the two things. I thought the veteran players weren't being leaders, and I thought the young players think they're better than they are. You know, they're complaining that they're watching too much film. Uh, right. They're complaining they're practicing too hard. Instead of the veteran saying, guys, we suck, and taking uh, taking control, they just kind of like, no, Coach Beeline, we don't like the way you do things. We're going to run you out of town. What was your opinion of that whole situation? Well, I think, you know, and I, I did listen to what you're saying, and I, I can see how that is, you know, your first thought. But talking to them, and this is my honest opinion, I think, number one, the Cleveland Cavaliers are too in between, right? Yes. So what, what I mean by that is you can't have championship-level front court with starting 18- and 19-year-olds and then have a 23-year-old wingman, right? So for me, you need to go in a direction to give Beeline the best opportunity to be the best he can be. Like you look at Brad Stevens or you look at Quinn Snyder or you look at uh, the coach at Oklahoma City. They're finally restarting with players that are going to believe in his system. They restarted in Boston by drafting players and restarting guys in that system that believed in him, that didn't know anything else. When you bring Beeline in, he's been in college for 30 years. How can he all of a sudden translate his game to the NBA game when, when you have championship-caliber players and players who, in all honesty, should probably still be in college? So that gap for him, I think, was almost an impossible job. Now, could, have the, could the vets done better? 100%. Could the young guys uh, have been a little bit more humble? Uh, 100%. But how can they be humble when literally they're given minutes? They didn't have to earn them. I feel like a lot of teams in NBA now have talented young guys, and they just hand him, they just hand him the ball, like, yeah. here, go play. That's not the right way to develop your, your players. That's not the right way to develop your culture. You look at what Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Andre Guadalla, this is an old name, Danny Granger, all those guys came off the bench, were defenders, would shoot corner threes, and then all of a sudden when they developed, when they earned the respect of their peers and their coaches, then they stepped into the starting lineup. Then they stepped into the go-to guy situation. But to just hand players minutes, I just don't agree with that, and I feel like sometimes that happens too much. I preface this next question, Channing, with – uh, the fact that we haven't talked about uh, Cleveland basketball this much through nine episodes of <laughs> the Steam Room, but but I'm I'm going back to the championship season um, that you spent with the Cavs, and and a quote from Joe Varden with the Athletic talking about you and Richard Jefferson, and he said R.J. and Channing Fry brought the 16 Cavs together in a way that LeBron or Kyrie couldn't. The two of them broke up clicks, got everyone laughing, which mattered when things turned quite serious in the 16 finals. How do you see your role on that team? And give me an example of what, of what uh, Joe Varden is talking about in terms of keeping everything cohesive on that team. Well, my, here, here's kind of where I came from in that situation. Uh, I was in Orlando, which was a absolutely – just the bottom of the barrel, trashy situation, right? <laughs> we had such a talented team, but there was no direction. There was no culture. Uh, and it was just so frustrating, not only for me, but for the vets. 
And to me, that was a situation where they were just handing the keys to everybody instead of deciding who was going to be a leader. So when I found out I was going to get traded, right, I was like, thank God I get to go to a winning team. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. I was miserable in, in Orlando. And when I went to Cleveland, right, so I went from the worst team in the NBA to a team that's going to a championship. In the first two days, I was like, man, these dudes got sticks up their asses, right? <laughs> they are so serious. They, like, don't kick it with each other. They don't talk to each other. Like, everybody has their own way to win. But literally, it's, they can all work together. So I knew that Kyrie and Kevin and Tristan and Braun and Shump and Richard could all work together to, to win. It's just they just didn't communicate with each other because they were so focused on my way of winning is the best way. So when I went there, all I did was put everybody on the text chain. And I was like, guys, when we get to, you know, D.C., drinks and dinner on me. Or, you know, say, let's just yeah. go to a bar. Let's just talk. Let's just kick it, you know. And then if Kyrie couldn't go, I would take the time next trip. Kyrie, where do you want to go, right? I'd go hang out with him and learn his communication, how he was feeling. And then Kevin was in his bag. And so I was like, Richard, why don't we go kick it with Kevin? So that, that way Kevin has his crew, LeBron has his crew, Kyrie has his crew. But yet when we do things together, we all have our own friends and safety group. So LeBron talks certain way to certain people. Um, and, you know, some players don't like getting yelled at, right, by other players. It's just, it's just how it is. Different personalities are that. So if LeBron couldn't yell at a certain player, he would yell at me for that player. <laughs> right? Which is cool with me because I'm like, shit, that wasn't me. Right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting over here. I'm not messing up. I'm making my shots, right? So I would talk to them. And it made it easier. It made the communication easier. So you don't have five or six people talking to Kyrie, four or five people talking to LeBron, six or seven people talking to Kevin. They'd be like, Channing, go talk to Kevin. Channing, can you go talk to LeBron? All right, cool. What's Hey, Bron, don't do that. Okay, cool, Channing. You know, and so it just created communication between everybody where it was like you could yell at me, I could yell at you, but you know I'm here not for stats because my stats really don't matter. Right? I'm here just to win. If you want me to start, if you don't want me to play, if you want me to come off the bench and, and guard whoever, whatever it is, I just want to win. And I think everybody saw that and saw that, like, I completely put my pride aside about any qualms, about any role they needed me to do, just because I saw the opportunity for us to win. And then when we came to, like, that game seven and game six, everybody, when I tell you, we were at the lobby bar the night before game seven. The whole team was down there. Uh, had it all, we all had like glasses of wine, and all we talked about the whole time was God would not have put us here or we would not have, have had this opportunity if we weren't here to change history. And, and that type of camaraderie, I think, had been building up from the beginning of the year to where we would have dinners, team dinners over and over and over again until now where we were like just completely locked in in one total unit. Great story. No, but let me tell you something that's interesting about what he said. Ernie, me and Channing have never talked about what we just talked about. Yeah. What he said, what I said has been the biggest problem in in the NBA for the last 10 years or more. These teams got no veteran guys. You know, like when I got to the NBA, I had Doc, 
Moses, Maurice Cheeks, Bobby Jones, Andrew Tony, Clement Johnson, Clint Richardson, Franklin Edwards, Mark Averoni. Like these guys would talk to me about stuff like that. What what Channing just said, I if I had a young basketball team, I would say, yo, man, just repeat what you just said to these guys. Like it's just about winning. It ain't about your brand. Uh, I'm not, you're going to have to earn your minutes and your shots. Like everything he said in the last few minutes, I think every NBA team need a veteran who's been through the wars, who is not worried about how many likes I'm getting, how many followers I'm getting. Like, hey, what can I do for my brand? Yeah. And when I got to the NBA, I mean, obviously I know we're drafting high school kids and now drafting kids after one year. All, most of your team's going to be made up of young kids. But all these these young kids need somebody like Channing to come in and tell them that. And and Channing, do you agree? Because it sounds to me like because of that, guys felt invested in each other. You know, yeah. it's not it's not like you had all these guys who were on separate islands. And I'm going to put my headphones on to do my thing, and I'll t- I'll talk to you when I'm on the floor. But it just seems like there was an investment there in in that whole team in that in that unit. Oh, for sure. And, and here's the thing, uh, Ernie, is that we're all men. Right? Most of the t- like on most teams that I've been on, most of us are fathers, right? We have our families who go through stuff, right? But if you don't communicate what's going on in your per- personal life to one or two people on your team, people just assume that your attitude is towards them because we are together so much, right? So, like, something was going on with one of my teammates, something going on at home. And I was like, hey, man, I just took the time after practice. Say, hey, what's going on? Well, so-and-so is going on, this or that, et cetera, et cetera, right? He goes, I'm just not really focused right now. I said, okay, cool. But I said, even though you're not focused, you still got to go through your routine. Because if you stop your routine, it's going to show everybody else that you're not committed. So even through all your mess, you got to still get your shots up. you got to still get your conditioning in, you know? And, and somebody had told me that, and Richard told me that too. So, like, when I was going through something. So – what happened was during practice, everyone said, hey, what's going on with so-and-so? And I would on the side be like, hey, man, just give him a second. He got some stuff going on. Yeah. We'd be like, okay, cool. And it gave him that week to take care of his stuff, and he was perfectly fine. But then that next two weeks, that next month, you saw, saw him start to open up. Because he was allowed to take care of his business and come to practice and feel a certain way without being judged, you know, it, it made him trust everybody. It allowed everybody to feel like, dang, He's still doing his work, even though this is going on, right? I've been through that. Maybe I should go talk to him on the side. So, and, and to get to what Charles is saying, these kids today are, are rewarded for stats, right? Back in the day when I played for Lute Olsen, he said, if you want to be famous, win games. If you want to be famous, win games. Winners are put on TV. Nobody wants to watch a losing team. If you win, it doesn't matter if you average – 10 points, 11 points, or 20 points, you're going to be on TV and somebody's going to recognize the work that you're putting in to be on a winning team. And I was like, dang. And all of a sudden, when I was in college and, and over the years in the pros, the guys that get the credit, right? Like Patrick Beverly, for, for instance, he's a winner. He does winning things. He has literally, if somebody were to say, what does Patrick Beverly average? You'd be like, I, I don't even know, maybe 10 points. But I know every player on every team I've been on says, I want him on my team. Marcus Smart, I want him on my team. 
You know, those type of guys make winning plays night in and night out that don't get put in stats. But too many times these young kids are on Instagram when they're 14, 15, getting 60, but their team loses by five, but yet they get a million yeah. a, a million likes. Yeah. So they feel like, oh, well, I'm still good. No, you're a loser. You know, you're a loser. Uh, it doesn't matter how many points you have. You know, you're talking about uh, players going through stuff. Probably my biggest regret of my career is – Playing with players who had stuff going on, and we used to joke about it. And you look at Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, guys who are coming out with, yeah. with, with NBA now getting psychological help. I, 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 I regret that in my career. I played for 16 years, and, like, we used to make fun because we didn't know any better. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I wish that I had got some guys some help. Their lives probably would have turned out differently. And like you, you've been you're more of a younger generation than me. Have you seen some guys? You like? I wish that I had got those guys because now nobody, everybody's not nobody's afraid to talk about mental issues today. Right. For me, uh, I was with Kevin. So for me, both my parents died within a month of each other uh, in 2017. So the year after he won a championship, and so the guys that were around me in Cleveland were guys like Kevin and obviously Richard and uh, guys like D-Wade, who we're still cool with today, and LeBron, and obviously the team. But the Cavs organization did such a good job of giving me outlets um, and allowing me to, um, I would say, deal with my grieving on my own terms, but also providing me with information on how to do it a healthy way. You know, And, and I don't think you should – feel bad because it was such a lack of information of, of how to deal with mental issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, um, you know, just got, you know, we would joke. I mean, as I was a rookie, if a guy was crazy, you'd be like, all right, man, don't mess with him. He's crazy. Yeah. But literally he probably needed some help. He probably needed somebody to talk to, to create good decisions for him in his life. But I think nowadays, and, and I've seen this a lot. I was actually on a team with Ben Gordon, who just came out with a Players yeah. Tribune article. I we saw. I wish I would have lent myself a little bit more to him at that time because I saw signs of, you know what? I don't know if he's doing okay, but I'm gonna give him his space. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And it's just because we don't know what to do. We're not taught. You know, say I, I am the end of the excuse of, I don't know what to do. I haven't been taught. You know, today is the information age. I can go to YouTube and find some ways to talk somebody about, you know, what they're going through without intruding on their personal life. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, Channing, you know, I, think, I think sometimes just listening. You don't have to yeah. worry about what am I going to say to him. As It's more of, hey, if things are right, I'm here. I'm, I'm your sounding board. Let me know, you know, and oh, sure. get it off your chest. And, and then from that point, then armed with that information, maybe you can make a suggestion or something. Or, hey, have you talked to, you know, that you talk to somebody with the team on their medical staff? Say, hey, you might want to approach him and see what's going on. But I think a lot of times we get so hung up on, well, I don't know what to say when this person is grieving. I don't know what to say when this person's struggling. It's like, don't worry about what you say. Just be there to listen. And I think that yeah. a lot of times is, is, the, is the first hurdle. Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I mean – it feels so good sometimes when just somebody just goes like, Jenny, what's going on here? Let's go. 
let's go grab a glass of wine and you just tell me what's up, right? Because right. you don't know what people are going through in their life because I could go play basketball and be severely depressed and then go in my car in the garage and just bawl my eyes out and nobody would know. And you don't know what people are dealing with, with their families, with their kids, with their loved ones. And so I think we're all got to be just a, a little bit more empathetic towards each other, but yet be able to push in the right direction when you see somebody, you know, veering off to the left or right, just, just nudge them by saying, Hey man, like, let's go, let's go chop it up or let's go walk around the block. You know what I'm saying? Just Mm -hmm. something to change it up, you know? Hey, last thing. And this is totally off the topic that we've been on, (laughs) but I find it fascinating because your grandfather was one of the Tuskegee airmen. Wow. Right. So how much have you been able, I mean, so how much did you learn about, the Tuskegee Airmen growing up, and I have no idea, you know, how old you were, or if you're, you know, if you had conversations with your grandfather right. about that. How did uh, how did that play out? It was a big sense of pride in the family. Like Grandpa, he uh, would tell us stories about how he would fly his B fifty two bomber over New York when he would have to do his runs. So they would have to do practice runs. Um, you know, at Tuskegee, and he would just tell us about just the opportunity uh, that he had and his internal motor to prove society wrong mm-hmm. and to be something when he had so much weight against him. And that was inspiring when he told me that when I was younger. And I don't know if I really got it, but now that I've, you know, been in the NBA, been a champion, now I'm a father, I'm like, dang, those are like crazy inspiring no. words. I couldn't even imagine the the stuff he had to face, you know, because we don't, we face like sometimes low key racism, but they were facing high key, super in your face racism. um, And it was just amazing. That it it is amazing because I always tell people I admire, I really admire older black people. What I mean by that is life, life is hard enough. Life just getting through life is hard enough, but I couldn't imagine being couldn't go to certain schools, certain restaurants, uh, you know, you know, just worrying about being in the wrong neighborhood, you know. Oh. I mean, the stress, the, the mental stress, just living as an older black person, <laughs> and then the factor in your grandfather's like, I can't screw this up because if I screw this up, they're not gonna give another black guy a chance. I mean, like no black, none, (laughs) not just like the next 10. It's like, oh no, y'all, like y'all can't do it. You know what I'm saying? Which is a crazy concept to be like, I've had one bad experience with this black guy. So no black people get to do this ever again. That's amazing, man. Channing, it's great talking to you, man. You've got a wonderful story because uh, through the course of your career, I mean, um, it's been remarkable to watch, and you're one of these, these examples of guys who's, you know, you've you've had those times like I mean, where you had a heart problem that that uh, that put you on the shelf. You came back, you won a championship. You're, you know, that time when you were down, you started doing some TV, and now you're in the media. I mean, it's like it's <laughs> it's almost like you know that happened and allowed that to happen, allowed the oh, the ex, sure. you know the experience on in media and. And now that's where you're going. And I, I have no doubt that if, uh, that if you ever think about coaching, man, you're gonna, you're gonna be a good one. I don't know if that's in your oh, cards man. at all, but but your knowledge, <laughs> hey. of the, but your knowledge that's of the game. That's a hard no. That's no. a hard no. <laughs> your knowledge of the game and, I can't and, do it. and how people oh, and man. how people tick and what makes a team cohesive. I think, 
I think that would serve you well if that's ever a decision, hey, if hey, that's ever hey, a direction you want to go. I'm not saying you got to. Uh, I'm but, just saying hey, it's a good characteristic hey, of a but coach. In the words of a great Pat Riley, voluntary cooperation. Yes. And let me tell you something. <laughs> These 18, 19-year-olds, they're not willing to volunteer or cooperate. <laughs> Channing, well, thanks for your time today, man. We really appreciate it, man. We'll see you well, We'll see you here around the studio. It's great to have you in our family, man. Oh, man, thank you, man. I appreciate that, guys. That was awesome because, Ernie, he reminds me of Moses, who's my father figure. Yeah. And I remember the first time he told me I was fat and lazy. <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, he says, Charles, you're fat and you're lazy. I'm like, <laughs> he says, well, in fairness to you, you're only lazy because you're fat. And mm. this guy who's one of the greatest ever says, Charles, you played at 300 pounds in college. You can't play at 300 pounds in the NBA. And this guy who had already done it all met me before practice, after practice, made me lose 50 pounds and become Charles Barkley. And he told he didn't sugarcoat it. He could have said, hey, blah, 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 you just got to work out. But he said, no, you're fat and you're lazy. And you never forgot that. I never forgot it. We uh, will continue with more of the steam room in just a second. Our buddy, uh, Tim Kiley, TK as we call him. Buddy. A very creative buddy. nickname. You know, it's like TK, Tim Kiley. TK is coming up next. Buddy is an exaggeration. Pal. Compadre. <laughs> Longtime producer of Inside the NBA who always brings us up to speed with the local news of the week, but today a little twist on the Uh-oh. local news. Uh, as, as the line from one of our favorite movies, Blazing Saddles, was, what in the wide, wide, wide world, world of sports, sports is going, going on here? <laughs> one of the you ready? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Deontay Wilder said he wasn't going to make excuses, <sighs> but he says his pre fight <laughs> outfit weighed 40 pounds. <laughs> And weakened his legs. <laughs> hey, he's also way Chuck. Not forgive making excuses, but he's pissed at his assistant trainer for throwing in the towel, and he's mad at the ref for deducting a point off him for a rabbit punch when he said Fury was rabbit punching him all night. I met him once, by the way. Uh, first, I met I, him at the Emmy Awards last year, like two days after his well, one punch knockout. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and he's just yeah, standing next to the guys like frightening. Yeah, no, it's exactly. Like, can you imagine like, getting hit by this cat? Yeah, no, no. Man. It's like when we had George Foreman on the set. Yeah. But what? Chuck, what are your thoughts? You're a big boxing fan. Yeah, I'm not going to go with the costume thing. <laughs> as uh, an excuse. I was disappointed he tried to use the costume as an excuse. Maybe you should have kept it on. Uh, <laughs> Wait, let me ask you this. Worst excuse. That or a ball player missing a game because he got sunscreen in his eyes. Uh, that that was not some that was uh, some type of lotion had an effect because I was at the Mick Jagger concert I think. Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton, you know, you know all white people look, look alike. alike. Right. Clapton, yeah, Eric Clapton. Uh, back so to I, Wilder. So two things. Uh number one, I'm not falling for that excuse. I was disappointed he used it as an excuse. You just get the other guy credit. First of all, it was stupid to wear that much stuff into the ring anyway. Shout out to Mark Breland. I'm glad he threw in the towel because he could have got hurt. Could have got really hurt. I hope he's not mad at his trainer. I mean, he was that, bleeding out of his ear. Ernie, no, I mean, it was it was nasty. No, man. he was well, but his the thing that, kicked the, out of him. My first question would, to Deontay would be, 
why did you come in 20 pounds heavier? Like, why did you get that's the heaviest he's ever fought? He gained 20 pounds from the last fight. What they want says because Fury was as big as he was. Fury's 6'9. I know. And he's 6'7. And the first fight, he knocked him down twice. And Fury's going to be bigger. Fury gained, I think, 17 pounds. So I think if I was better conditioned than I was the first time, I'd have a better chance of winning instead of me gaining 20 pounds. So that's listen. I, I love. I'm pulling for Deontay because he's from Alabama. He's in Tuscaloosa, but that's you know I forgive him for that. <laughs> but I, I, that would be my first question. First, it was stupid to wear that much stuff into the ring, but that's not an excuse. Uh, you like he was hurt early in that fight. Mm-hmm. He if you, even if you wear something heavy, you're not tired after the first or second round. You've been training for months. But my my first question would be: How did you gain 19 pounds? That's the heaviest you've ever fought. Why would you gain 20 pounds? That makes no sense whatsoever. But listen, to, I'm glad Mark Breland threw in the towel. Can we go back to the days, like, remember when Mike Tyson used to walk in? Just rip shirt. Yeah. yeah. Rip shirt, walk to the yeah. ring, boom, let's go. Let's, yeah. I agree on, with some you. Some of this stuff. Come on. Pat, hey. You know, I'm, I'm a big Patsy Klein fan, but yeah. there's... <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many times you can play crazy. I mean, they put that thing on a loop. It must have played it 12 times before he got to the ring. I, 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 thought, I, thought, I thought both of them coming in the ring was excessive. Huh. I mean, I almost went through a whole six-pack by the time <laughs> between, between the introductions of both of them. But I have a question. Yes. Tyson Fury isn't exactly cut. But you know what? Uh, but I, I just want to ask you, can who, who in your career did you say – Bad body, but could play like hell. John Bagley, Sherman Douglas. So you got to the roly poly point guard. Yeah, I'm trying to think of got big guys who were roly poly. Uh, Oliver Miller, uh, guys who could play who were chubby. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't have to include yourself. <laughs> And he's shocked. This is body. This body. This don't grow. On, well, this okay. If I played today, I'd be on that list. <laughs> if I played today, I'd be on that list. Are you ready for number yeah, two? Yes. Yeah, let's move Did you on. see what uh, the Carolina Hurricane story? The other oh time. my god, it was one of the best story. I'm so glad you reminded me. One, of, first of all, I did not know that they have an emergency goalie. Oh, yep. At every game, I didn't know that either. He could play, for and he could team. play for either team. Yeah. That was one of the great stories of the weekend. It, it, it's Ayers, isn't it? it? Yes. Well, one minute, 42-year-old David Ayers. David was, Ayers. David Ayers was also the Zamboni driver. Yeah, in Toronto. Was, was, was sitting in the stands with his wife. The next, he was wearing a sweater for the organization, eh? Hey, <laughs> Between hey. the pipes. Hey, so I guess he got uh, – he was a good player X amount of years ago. Got a kidney transplant. transplant had, had to quit playing. Had to quit playing. But it's so fascinating. First of all, and he, and I tell you what's amazing. People are not even talking about. He gave up goals on his first two shots. Yep, and, and that was it. Him. That was it. And stoned him. And uh, I, I love the way Rod Brendamore gave him a shout out and love after the game. Uh, who used to play for the Flyers, right? But that was one of the great stories of the weekend. Yeah, and and I loved. He described it later too. He said one of the players came up to him. 
I think after he'd given up one of the goals or or two goals, said, "Look, we don't care if you give up ten goals, man. Yeah, just, just have just fun out here, enjoy the moment." You're and in the NHL, the, yeah, in yeah, the game. Yeah, it, that was, so they win six three. He gets an ovation from the Toronto fans who lost. He was like the first star, wasn't he? And I mean, he was the number one yeah. star of the night. Uh, you know, I was just happy, man, because that that was just a cool story. But I cannot believe. Because the chance of two goalies getting hurt is almost impossible. Yeah. But I never knew the rule that they have an emergency goalie in the stands who yeah. can play for either team. It's yeah. usually a coach or 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 a, a guy who played in the minor leagues that they have. Doing Which that. really sucks as the uh, emergency goalie because you can't have beers in the stands watching a hockey game. <laughs> that's that almost defeats the purpose of going to a well, hockey game. You know what? If if you, if you did that, you'd see three pucks. You just stop the one in the middle, right? But there that that is go if you like. That is such a cool story. I'm so glad you reminded me of that. All right, we got to keep going here. <sighs> NFL Combine news. You, were, you believe we're talking about Joe Burrow's hands? <laughs> you know. Listen, I just want to say this. Joe Burrow, listen, I made it through my life with nine inches. You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll be fine, Joe. You want to reword that? No, yeah. I don't, actually. Well, but we have some tweets, actually. I want people to actually. Considering I retirement this. after I was informed the football will be <laughs> slipping out of my tiny hands. I, I, I love <laughs> that. Joe Burrow, I love the way you handled that. I watched a thing on television yesterday about the stupidity of the hand thing. They had a, a, a quote-unquote expert, you know, there's no such thing as an expert, yep. talking about they looked at like 30 years of NFL players' hands. Oh, yeah. And the numbers were like you all over the place. You've seen some of the stiffs that had Big old hands. hands. Yeah, right. And, it's, and the guy told this story, and I hate, I hate trashing my homeboy like this. Uh and I feel bad. I hope he forgives me. So the guy was saying he met with this NFL player, uh, this, this this scout. He was at a workout. And it was Jamarcus Russell. And he says, well, he says, you know, uh, I'm just here to analyze. And he says, I didn't think that was a great workout. He said, it was all right. But did you see the size of his hands? <laughs> And the guy told that story. He says, I never forgot that. A lot of these guys, they're fixated on. Was your Marcus Russell LSU as well? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Number one pick. Yeah. yeah. But he says, the guy, he said he threw the ball all right, but apparently he had Dr. J, Michael Jordan size hands, and he could just throw it through a wall. And the guy said, he said, I never forgot that. And I stopped evaluating quarterbacks on their hand size because. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is only like a quarter of an inch bigger than Burroughs. Yeah, it's just a joke. But, but this is the big moment to end the show or, or end this segment. Auburn's yeah, it's, it's finest, Andy Lutz. It's just ending the segment, TK. Just because yeah. it's the end of your segment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mean, we're not ending the show with you. Statement by Dang. So, very selfish. Hey, statement. And Auburn's <laughs> finest is here. Yes. Oh, Annie Lutz. Annie Lutz. And we are going to measure your hand. It's from the pinky... Oh, is, that, is that where they? It's is that, pinky to. Oh, so it's not. Thumb. It's not like top of the. No, no, no. The Nine head. inches. Oh, See, America, yeah. I was right. Hey, give me. Let me see what mine is. Uh, you, your hand's gonna be bigger than mine, Ernie. I don't know. Hey, Ernie's got some meat hooks. Yes, he does. Nine and a 
I knew it was going to yeah. be my Ernie got some meat. Nine hook. and a half. So, uh, Joe Burrow, we're good with these nine inches. Don't worry about it. You're going to be successful, brother. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank How you, Andy. Feet, Chuckster. Uh, 17s. You got 17? Yeah. No, you do not. Yes, I do. Do you really? Oh, yeah. I got That make up for my small hands. <laughs> <laughs> Those are 17s? Yes, sir. I thought I had bigger feet than you. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we're taking a break. TK, this was... Uh, that was good, TK. This was whelming. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Whelming. <laughs> I like that. What in the wide, wide world of sports, sports is going on, on here? <laughs> Back here on the award-winning steam room, still trying to decipher which award. Uh, listen, uh, best new podcast, best podcast, Nobel Prize-winning uh, podcast, be- best best host, yeah, best co-host. I mean, best it's just duo. Yes, <laughs> listen to us. This is horrible. Okay, so uh, we always finish up the show with Chuck's answering machine. You've reached Charles Barkley. Leave a message, America. Hey, guys. Chuck, I heard you say that Goodfellas was one of your top five movies. So I was wondering, what are the other four movies in your top five? I assume 1917 is in there. Um, And I would love to hear Ernie's top five list as well. Thanks, guys. It's hard to do that when you're Yeah, because you forget stuff. Yeah. Uh, Well, obviously, Braveheart is up there for me. Uh... Liar, liar is up there for me. Uh, Malcolm X is up there for me. Um, New Jack City is up there for me. Wow. Uh, Godfather is up there. I don't think you can pick no. five movies and say it's your best. It's a Wonderful Life, any time of the year. Favorite movie. Um, Field of Dreams. Yep. Uh, no Country for Old Men. Oh, I love No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I watched is that. that. Is that not the greatest role that I, he plays? Is, call it. Call it. It, it, it. When he's with this old... I, I watched it. I actually watched it again last week because there are certain scenes I like. And for some reason, I got to, oh, America. Why do, why do I need to call it? I don't know what I am <laughs> what I have to lose. You have everything to lose. Uh, I, uh, Josh Brolin is yeah. amazing. Right. Yeah, I just watched him again in uh, American Gangster, which is up there on my list, too. Uh, um, and and, and, and uh, I love Denzel Washington. Yeah. American Gangster and Hurricane, they're on my top ten list. Uh, Goodfellas is on there. Godfather's on there. Yeah. In Bruges. Hey, here's this one for you. In Bruges. Check it out. Colin Farrell. Awesome. Yeah, he was great in the in the gentleman too. The yeah. new movie is out now. Yeah. So um there you go. That's that's kind of a top five, top oh, ten, top oh. fifteen, whatever. Give us another call. Hey, Charles Barkley, Adam Rosen. So let me tell you a quick story about you and my mother. About ten or fifteen years ago, my mom, we would go to Vegas every year around Thanksgiving. You made it the greatest weekend ever for my mother. You played roulette with her, this five-foot-tall, little New York widowed Jewish woman. For about three hours, you kept just putting thousands of dollars on the table, and you'd let my mom rub your head for good luck, and you autographed a $100 bill and gave it to her. And it was the best time she ever, ever had. 
and I appreciate that, and we always spoke about it. She passed about a year and a half ago, and I appreciate you for that, and my mom loved you. You're the best, Chuck. Thank you. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, you were your, a high your, roller. Your mom man. should have stopped me for playing roulette. For that's three a, hours. That's the reason they give you a 30 to 1 odds. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I actually love roulette. <laughs> you know, I, I love brunette. I, 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 uh, roulette. Brunette. I was going to say brunette. Uh, yeah. Because I bet, I bet the same 10 numbers every time. 2, 4, 5, 15, 17, 19, 21, 23, 25, 32, and 34. I think I added a number. But all 10 of those numbers are in a row on the board. I pay one-third of the board. Oh, okay. uh, I love roulette. Sharing your roulette strategy, the, first which of all, has that, been hey, so hey, profitable hey, for hey, you. Let me tell you something. There's zero strategy in roulette. <laughs> well, you, you got it's, one. It's a, no, it's a strategy. I, I just play one. Uh, I play one third of the board, and it doesn't work. It's amazing how far that ball bounces. <laughs> Try another the, third uh, of the board, dude. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> or spread it around, whatever. I've never played roulette. Uh, that's a re- I think you I'm win 35 to 1, if I'm, I'm correct. A, I'm a blackjack guy. I like Rarely. Uh. You know, it's like, oh, you don't want to gamble with me either, man. I'm the worst. If I've I've never spent more than a half hour at a casino. Are you serious? Oh, man. I, could, I, I bet- go down there with like 100 bucks, and when it's gone, I'm gone. I've sit at a table for 20 straight hours before. <laughs> I don't doubt that. I have. <laughs> I've sit there. I sit. Letting, I, sit, I think little old grandmas rub your head. I don't say I've sit there for twenty straight hours before. <laughs> oh man! Oh yeah, I love it. Yep, obviously. Uh, and we hope you love this podcast called the Steam Room. If you uh, if you download it, you are known as a loyal a steamer. steamer, and there are millions of you hey, out there. You know millions. We made it to double digits, America. And next week. Episode number eleven. We get into the toes, y'all. All the way. We ran out of fingers. We get into the toes.